Welcome back, everybody. Time to grab your surfboard and see if we can swim out into that turbulent sea of ideas today here with the man who is advising NFL players as we speak. One by one, they're calling him up. We'll probably get interrupted, telling them whether they should accept the offer and sit out the season or not here. That's Matt Hines. Well, maybe we could just do that live in real time. If they call, <laughs> put them on speakerphone. Yeah. And be, hey, Aaron Rodgers, what do you think? Should you, should you play? Should you not play? Yeah. Tom Brady, what do you think, buddy? In or out? I don't know, man. I feel very fortunate that I mean, I talk and type for a living, so I can do it from anywhere, including the temporary. Wouldn't call it Heinz Marketing World headquarters. It's still, <laughs> it's still alive. It's I'm paying for for furniture storage apparently now, but um, you know, I just feel very fortunate. I was on. I think uh, we had shows recorded, which some of you probably listened to, but uh, back live after a couple weeks yes. of vacation. So excited to be back here live. And what do you and, think? Uh, Are people going to opt in? Or, I mean, I, I was just listening to news prior to this. I didn't even know. Today is the day for those yeah. listening live. They have to decide if they're going to take one hundred fifty grand and sit out the season i guess that's all you get or are they going to try and play and they got to let the league know today so well i mean and it's interesting right because i mean i I brought up aaron Rodgers. i mean some of these players like they're just set for life they don't have to make another dime as long as they've been good with their money they're fine you know the nfl has among the four major sports it is the weakest of the unions and therefore the weakest relative to player rights and Mm, financial opportunity so there is a high percent of nfl players that are constantly on the bubble and constantly, you know, in any given game, any given day, at risk of just getting cut and not having their, not having money. So it's a safety issue, but it's also a, just like a lot of people, it's like, I still got to make a living issue. Right. But if you're playing football, I know we'll get to your, your guest here in a second, but if you're playing football, I mean, how do you avoid tangling with somebody? You don't know. If, it's one thing to baseball, you're standing far away from each other here, but football, man, you're wrestling around and rolling around with these guys. You got to be, are they all going to? One of them suddenly wakes up and says he has coronavirus the next day, and everybody from yesterday's game is now out and quarantined. It's crazy. Well, and this is not. I, mean, I guess we'll get we'll get eventually to, to, to sales and market coverage. But, I mean, this is not just a Bring your you know, two-hour deadline. I mean, like, who's to say? Like, if you know, after a couple games, like either the external world or what's happening within football, like, are you really going to worry about you know, you know, the the are afraid of getting coronavirus? I don't know. Well, let's bring your guest in and see what he Players. thinks about it. Maybe he's got some ideas well, on how to handle all this or uh, or, or lead, us a, lead us to a different topic altogether here. Well, we got lots we can talk about. We're going to run out of time if we, don't, if we don't pay attention. But anyway, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us on Sales Pipeline Radio. We're not going to spend time on, the, on a lot of the formalities, but you can catch us live at 1130 on Thursdays. You can catch us on demand at salespipelineradio.com and all of our past, present, and future episodes up there at salespipelineradio.com. We're talking to some of the best and brightest minds in, in B2B sales and marketing on a weekly basis. Today is absolutely no different. I'm really excited. I'm excited and also a little intimidated, I'll get to that in a minute, to have with us today the founder and, and Paul, the chief event Einstein Ooh, wow. of our endless events, Will Curran. Will, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, that was an incredible introduction, and I'm scared to know why I'm intimidating you, Matt. I got to know. Well, uh, so I will, I'll give a little bit of backstory. So I did not know you until a few months ago. We did a an event hackathon together for a company. We were on a group together that... By the way, we in the hackathon, we were the winning team on the hackathon. Let's put that out there in front up yeah. front. Um, I give you the majority of the credit. I, I was very <laughs> I felt like the outsider in the group because we I come in there and not only were you know, all these groups had these amazing experienced event marketers, event producers, event professionals, but it was very clear when I joined, like there were people in the industry 
who were kind of fanboying and fangirling over you. They were just really excited they got to actually sort of be in an event with you. What you have done in the space, your event tech podcast, event brew, like you've been doing some pretty amazing stuff in the space. So that's just what you have accomplished and clearly the aura you bring <laughs> when you're in the event. I don't, I don't, maybe I'm a fanboy now too, um, but uh, no, it's very <laughs> impressive. How did you get into, I mean, like we've all got sort of these interesting stories of, you know, when you get into a niche, how you do that. Did you, was this something you thought you were going to do when you were a little boy? Like how did you become um, <laughs> sort of an event professional? Yeah. I mean, I actually started making websites when I was a kid and uh, middle school. And then uh, in high school, my freshman year, I actually started DJing and DJing had been like kind of like the cool thing I wanted to do before. Like now everybody's a DJ who can have like an iPad and a bunch of MP3s. But like back in the day, it was like, oh my gosh, a DJ would be so cool. And I thought about that. But then I think I naturally stumbled into being DJ because of the internet radio station I had and everything like that. But then eventually doing large scale, gigantic uh, corporate B2B conferences and things like that. Like I remember my, when I was doing the DJing for a couple of years and then got to college my freshman year, I was like, yeah, it'd be so cool to do like a thousand person event with some like concert sound systems and things like that. And like three months later I did one and I was like, okay, what's next? I'm like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we do this? And like three months later we would do that. And then it, it just always naturally grew. But no, I, I think I had an idea that I wanted to do something like this, but it wasn't like, I didn't have that clear, concise vision where I was like, yes, I want to be one of the most influential people in the events industry. I was just like, I want to create awesome stuff and I want to have fun along the way. <laughs> well, I think it, I'd love to hear that story. And I think some of the best influencers have that story and they're influential because they're authentic. I mean, I think very rarely do you see the most influential people with an intention ultimately, you know, initially of I want to become a thought leader. It's people like yourself. They just they put on their hard hat and do the work. And you've been doing it now for over 13 years. I am curious. Chief Event and Einstein is this the first time I've seen that as a title. What's the backstory on that? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I mean, when we were growing as a company, it was really tough that because we started like very traditional, like president, vice president. And then whereas we're growing, I was just like, uh, eventually I realized that like, it was way more fun to have weirder titles because a, it was good for the organization because then you didn't have people who are like, well, I'm the, this of this. So therefore I can't do that. But then also at the same time, it was also, I just did it kind of like on a whim. And I thought, I was like, you know, what, what are people going to say? But then it became like the, there's two things I get compliments on the most, my title and my avatar that I use as my picture. Like people just comment on it all the time. And I was like, well, no one ever comments on being like, Hey, nice VP of sales title you got there. And Oh, by the way, nice headshot. You know, no one ever says it, but like literally I'll get emails. People like, I love your avatar. I love your title. And I was like, you know what, if that helps people remember me a little bit more then I'm keeping it. And that's kind of where it came in. It's definitely got me some, uh, some flack sometimes too, because it definitely sounds a little conceited in some ways. Um, but you know, I think it's, it gave me flexibility to say like, look, I just like, I know a lot about events and I love thinking a lot about events and coming up with crazy ideas with events. And it just fit kind of perfectly versus like that CEO title for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I, I like it. I love it. And I think it's very on brand for you because you are a very creative person. You're a very high energy person, I will say. And, and part of the reason I give you a majority credit for our win on the hackathon is I think we had a really good idea for how to sort of hack the event we were given. But the presentation we gave, I mean, you turned it into an event. I mean, there was walk-up music. I mean, you basically DJ'd the thing, and we and we it was very high energy. There was background music, and I think especially in a virtual event, right, when you lose the ability to have someone sitting in front of you, when attention can be fleeting, that production quality and that energy becomes really important. Talk about what that's looked like the last few months as you you know work with your clients to create engaging events online. How much is that sort of energy? 
and sort of enthusiasm a key part of the the recipe? Definitely. Well, I want to give you some credit because you helped out with a lot of the content. You, I mean, honestly, you like the wording and the thought process that you were coming up with was where I had to kind of base off all my, my what I was going to say and things like that, right? Off of. So I got to give you credit because it wouldn't have been possible without you. It wasn't majority me. It was there, there was a lot of math in there too. So I want to give you some credit there. But I think that it goes to show that also you have to do start with really good content. You can't just come in and say like, oh, we'll just create a high energy experience and not have this thought-provoking, good content, good ideas, and things like that as well. And I think where the last couple of months have shifted since in-person experiences have dissipated and now we're 100% virtual is that people are also recognizing that there needs to be production value, right? Like if you, for example, watch Stranger Things on Netflix and it was filmed on a smartphone and, you know, all those things like that, you probably would be like, ah, this is, you know, it's okay. The story is so good, but, you know, the production value is not really there. But then because the production value is there with it, you stick to it. You like are 100% invested. And I think that when people are now getting, you know, so much webinar fatigue and Zoom fatigue that they don't want to sit and watch a square box with someone talking with slides right next to it. They're looking for something high energy and exciting and more importantly, different, I think, than anything. And what's great is that there's so much history of broadcast and television and filmmaking that has existed prior to this that it's uh, created some great opportunities for sure. Yeah, talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Will Curran. He is the founder and chief event Einstein of Endless Events and has really been in the heart of and at the forefront of a lot of companies converting what have been a lot of live events, at least temporarily, into virtual events. And, um, you know, well, one of the themes that I've heard from a couple of things I want to cover with you here in our time together, one is that I think a lot of in the past people have considered, lot, you know, in-person events versus virtual events as an either or. We don't have the option of doing both now, but I feel like we're working towards a scenario where it's going to be an and, where there's going to be you know, the opportunity for in-person opportunities while extending the halo effect to people that couldn't be there, that don't have the opportunity to be there, can't afford it, but that is a, a broader multi-channel body of work. Are you yeah. seeing that, sort of those kind of conversations happen? And what are we doing today in a virtual format that you think will sustain when we can get back together again? Yeah, so in the biz, we call that a hybrid event. Um, there you go. Yeah, so we actually do call, we do call it a hybrid event. Uh, what's cool about this is this stuff has existed for so long. This term of hybrid event isn't like just created in the last six months since uh, you know COVID has started and everything like that. It's actually existed far beyond even when I was in the events industry. So what's cool is the idea behind a hybrid event is this idea that you do have an in-person experience, you have a virtual experience, and they, the blend between them, and my definition of it is that the, the seamlessness between them is so smooth that the people virtually have the same quality experience that the people in person have and vice versa as well. And that the audiences get to interact with each other, engage with each other, that almost the audiences become one rather than separate. So what are we doing now to kind of move towards that? Well, the first thing is that people are starting to experiment way more on virtual, right? And I think that that's such an incredible time right now to be, hey, let's you know, break things. Let's make big, huge leaps forward and try and experiment with things. But also as well, that figuring out that like, hey, what works virtually? Because when we do come back to in-person experiences and they become hybrid, you will now know that like we can't just do a shot of a person standing there with a slide right next to them, right? That's not exciting anymore. The idea that you still need people in the chat moderating on the virtual side, like all the things your people are going to learn from virtual, they 100% can apply to this hybrid sense as well. And I think there's a lot of really exciting things that are going to happen. But to go back to the point, too, is that I think that before people used to think of like hybrid and there was like, oh, yeah, let me just I'll stick a camera in the back of the room and people can just be like a fly on the wall. 
But then right now everyone's realizing, oh, that doesn't work for virtual. And then now they're going to realize, well, wait, maybe it's not going to work for hybrid anymore. And we have to create an experience like the Super Bowl where there's like 20, 30 cameras, right? There's all this crazy cut to commercials and graphics and things like that. And I think that there's so much opportunity now for event professionals who are now experimenting in virtual to continue learning about hybrid. And I will say it's, it's definitely still, even though it's existed for a long period of time, it's still brand new to so many people. So if you're out there listening and you're like, I need to do a hybrid event and figure this sort of stuff out, don't worry, you're not alone. And I think you know people that maybe have not done the production value of some of the events that you've been involved with may look at some of this and think about all these different variables and get a little intimidated by it. But you got to start somewhere. Are there certain components of great events that you think are at the top of the list in terms of if you nail this, it's more likely to be a top-notch event? Um, are there certain, like, you know, what are some of the foundations of great virtual events right now? Yeah, I'll get super tactical because I can, like, keep it really high level and say things like, you know, you got to be strategic with it, which is what I preach a lot of is that start with the why, start with the Simon Sinek why, you know, start with the strategy, then move into tactics. But um, I think a lot of people understand that now, and you can happily Google, like, event strategy if you need to um, to learn more about that. So obviously start with that. But let's dive into, like, specific tactics on what you can do. So one of the first things I think you can do to have a top-notch production is designing, again, great content. So I already kind of mentioned that, but I think that really thinking about the content in, like, length, in, in terms of visuality, in terms of um, substance that it's going to have on there as well. Because too many people are just like, yeah, like, we'll just have the keynote and it's an hour long and whatever it is. It's like people won't want to sit on their computer screen for an hour, right? Next thing, tactical tip for everybody, is a very, very specific role within the virtual event, which is the MC, the host, the person who brings the glue together. This person can make or break the event like a hundred times over. You don't have a good host who can keep everybody high energy, right? And I, and I kind of considered myself, like, talk about the competition, the host of our team. Like, I didn't really bring up a lot of the technical aspects of the event, but, like, I was the one who introduced us. I was the one who closed us. And I was like, I'm going to kick off the energy, bring it up. And then I think I had, like, a middle talk where I talked. And then at the end, I closed us all out. But making sure that, like, I was high energy, I was on camera, I was moving around, really, I think, makes or breaks a lot of this content because you can have someone who is the best content, right? Like, let's say, for example, you have the Einstein of whatever your industry is, but they're really kind of dry, slow, whatever it may be. You can have that person come up, tell the cure to cancer on stage, but if they don't deliver it the right way, people are going to be like on their phones, looking down, distracted. They're going to like go on, walk their dog, whatever it may be. They're checking their email. But if you get a higher GMC who can really introduce them well, who can set the stage, but then afterwards summarize what they say, kick the energy back up again, Boom, people will be like, man, that Einstein guy was awesome and uh, would blow people away. So love it. Two, two times. I love it. We got to take a quick break. We will be back in just a couple minutes with more with uh, Will Kern, our guest today. I'll be right back. Sales Pipeline Radio. Continue to drive predictable revenue in an increasingly unpredictable time. Creating a revenue growth engine is no small task, nor is it one that can be done overnight. And these days, it can feel harder than ever to hit your stride. So how can you overcome the obstacles? Read the new research report on the state of predictable revenue growth from Sixth Sense and Heinz Marketing. Get it now at hub.sixcents.com slash PRG. That's hub.sixcense.com slash PRG. 
Okay, we're talking events with Matt and his guest here. I got to ask one question to this guy here. If he's an expert on events, what does he think about what we started with sports? Are sports going to be held this year? And if they do, when they do come back eventually, will they include these online aspects? Like I suspect they'll be, uh, you know, not either or, but. Uh, yes, and uh, for all sorts of business stuff. Are we going to do sports this year, and are we going to come back with uh, online stuff in the coming years? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've actually been watching sports very, very closely, even though I don't watch sport very closely, if that makes sense. Um I'll give you an example. So uh, the NBA has been doing some really cool stuff is that they uh, were one of the first to say, hey, we're going to put all the attendees in Microsoft Teams and put their headshots all the way around the court. So then that way the players get to see them and then also they're on camera, right? And then we had obviously, for example, like MLB opening weekend, they had, you know, cardboard cutouts of people, right? And that's kind of cool. But then literally the next day after opening day, they were like, oh, by the way, we're going to find a way to 3D render people in the stands. So then that way, you know, they have their avatar there. And I think a lot of that goes into that hybrid sense of what it's going to be like definitely moving forward. So it is kind of crazy to think about all the health benefits of it, but it still is helping push things moving forward. We used to say at the beginning of all this that the two main things that we'll look for is when Disney comes back and when sports comes back in person. And that's when I think then you'll start to see all the corporate business, all the corporate travel start to come back when it comes to it. But the innovation is awesome because, you know, they have a lot of money. So like while all the other businesses are kind of like, oh, let's not innovate, let's, let's be safe. The MLB and NBA are just like putting themselves out there and doing some crazy stuff, which is exciting. Yeah, the innovation is really cool. And I think we see it in events. We see it in sort of marketing in general. We see it, you know, with sports. I think the fan engagement and the what to do with the seats is one really interesting part about it. You got the NBA with, you know, people that are literally sort of there, sort of live on video. Baseball's been fascinating in terms of how they use or don't use the seats. Some teams don't do anything with the seats. Others let people Mm -hmm. buy a space in the seat. Others put like giant heads of past players out there. If you, I don't know if it's still there. If you look behind home plate, at the Oakland Coliseum for the A's games, they actually have Tom Hanks as a hot dog vendor. And apparently Tom Hanks, when he was in <laughs> high school, sold peanuts at the Oakland Coliseum. So it's kind of, and, and they've what? actually, they got him to record his voice. Hey, hot dogs, hot dogs here, get your hot dogs. <laughs> and it is now, it's now blended in with the crowd noise they pipe in to Oakland Coliseum wow. for TV broadcast as well. And I'll be honest, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly we get used to some version of a new normal. I, um, I, you know, I don't know what this says about me, but I, I do watch a lot of sports. I like watching golf. And so this, you know, we have to record this, you know, this morning I was watching a little of the first round of the first major of the year, the PGA championship. And I just, I, I didn't realize until this conversation, I'm used to watching without fans now. Like the first thing they came back and didn't have a, a crowd at a, on a golf course, it was weird not to hear people cheering. Now I'm just as a TV viewer. It's the same as it was yeah. last year, from my perspective. So it's it's interesting. But hey, we got just a few more minutes here with Will Curran from Endless Events. And the other question I wanted to ask you, a couple of things before we run out of time here. One is around sort of sponsor value. If you're taking an event that used to be in person where people could exhibit at a trade show, and it, there's a lot of companies that are struggling where they used to get pipeline and engagement with prospects by being in person with people at the booth, doing the happy hours, replacing that value in a virtual format is not an immaterial thing. What are some things you're seeing that companies are doing both, I guess, the sponsors themselves as well as potentially the producers to create sort of sponsor and advertiser value? 
Yeah, I mean, initially when this all started to happen, people really leaned on that in-person uh, like experience. They're like, we need a 3D trade show. I need to build a 3D booth and things like that. And I say, you're not buying when you're buying the trade show bot or whatever it may be. You're not buying a booth. You're buying what the booth gets you, which is that ultimate goal and strategy you're trying to achieve, right? So for a lot of people, it's meetings, for example. For a lot of people, it's building the brand awareness, right? It's buying the sales opportunities that you're getting, whatever it may be, the leads that you get from scanning badges, whatever that may be. And so what I challenge a lot of people right now to do is stop thinking like everything was six months ago or whatever it was. Don't go back to that thinking. Don't th say, I need a booth. Instead, think in the terms of the internet. And in terms of the internet, the equivalent of that is digital marketing, right? And that, that's no different, that's no like obvious, uh, an obvious thing to this audience, right? Like I'm sure everyone listening right now are pros at building email lists and creating awesome content and things like that as well. But use that same thing, applying it to event opportunities. So for example, I, I love to use Endless as an example, because I think I have to be able to say, if I could put my marketing dollars anywhere, this is how I would do it. So for example, if someone came to me and said, hey, do you want to exhibit at you know, the events industry conference, whatever it may be, and said, hey, why don't you get a 3D booth and we'll let leads come and click on you and they can come to your page and book meetings with you. I would say, eh, that doesn't really do it for me because I'm not, tr people don't want to naturally have a meeting with like, you know, Will, even as much as, as much as my, Matt hyped me up to be awesome, I don't think people are going to be like, oh, I got to meet with endless events. But instead, I think what they're going to be looking for is um, something else. So in the case with endless, for us, it's all about driving traffic back to our website. So what I would want to talk to the organizer and say, how can I drive qualified people who attend this conference to come back to my website to convert on like an ebook or whatever it may be? And I'll give you a great example of this. I would pay for normal people. They're like, hey, let's uh, charge 10 grand for a virtual booth. I would pay 10 grand to put a little ad on every page of the whole entire virtual event that says, get your free uh, virtual event planning checklist, click here to download and it drives back to my landing page. They convert that way and boom, I have them as a lead on my site. I would pay money for that, but what I wouldn't pay money for is that traditional like, hey, I'm just gonna set up a profile and people can book me. However, for if you're an exhibitor and you're like, I have great brand awareness, everybody needs to have meetings with me. In fact, this conference, 99% of my customers are here, so this is their chance to renew their contract or hear about the new products we have, then maybe a, a profile will work for you. But the thing is that instead of thinking about it in terms of the, the past, Think of it in terms of digital marketing tactics. And if you're trying to uh, figure out how to maximize these virtual events, learn digital marketing and apply that and ask for tactics to be executed because it can be possible within those virtual events. So speaking of things you have to pay for, Paul, what you do not have to pay for is an amazing amount of great resources and value on the Endless Events website. Check out helloendless.com. We'll put links to this in the show notes. On-demand webinars, tons of eBooks. My favorite section, Will, is actually the template section where you get into, there's an event planning checklist. There's an event budget template. Um, there's an event Wi-Fi bandwidth calculator. I've never seen that before, but like that's something that every <laughs> event manager needs given how crazy expensive that is. And they may not need it right away, but you also have a virtual event planning checklist there as well. So highly encourage people to check that out. What are some examples of companies that you've seen, either those you work with or those you encourage people to check out that you think are doing a really nice job right now with creating sort of more engaging, successful virtual events? Yeah, um, I'll actually use a non-company one because it's getting so many eyeballs and was so engaging is check out Tomorrowland and what they did this last weekend. If you get a chance, they end up having something like a million people ended up buying tickets to it and spending like 12 euro 
to attend a virtual concert, which hmm. virtual concerts, like what's the difference between me, me and putting on Spotify right now, right? And so I thought that was really, really engaging. That's one to check out. I would also check out a lot of, honestly, I would look at the events industry itself and see what they're doing because there's a lot of people who are like, hey, like, let's just experiment and let's just do things crazy. So if you're trying to see like what's working, also look at what the events industry is doing as well. And then I would also say, a good company to look at as well is the companies like Samsung and Apple and everything like that as well. They're more traditional in the sense that they're doing live streams, but I think they're showing off some really cool production value in terms of presentations. For example, like Samsung had their Unpacked event yesterday, and they were like, oh, and here's the earbuds we just announced is this gigantic version. And they get to crack the joke and say, this isn't a life-size model. They're actually a lot smaller, and they, you know, they hold the product out. But it was cool because that kind of like AR look of like a floating object in front of you doesn't translate in person because people had never seen it. But virtually you can do all these crazy things in terms of production value. And I think that they did a really good job transitioning between people, showing real life examples of things, but then like giving palate cleansers of like quick ad spots to say like, oh, here's this artist, how they use the, the Galaxy Note for five seconds or whatever it may be. But their production value I think is really good. So I look at Tomorrowland for seeing like absolutely mind boggling craziness. I would say look at the events industry if you're looking for tactical, like how to implement platform and stuff. And if you're looking for live stream production value, Apple, Samsung, any big major tech brand is really investing in this right now. Love it. Well, and in addition to this being the first time we have heard the term palette cleanser on Sales Pipeline Radio, <laughs> tons of great advice. Uh, I definitely encourage anyone who is doing any level events, go to helloendless.com. Lots of great resources. Get to know Will and his stuff. Thank you so much, Will. Will Curran, our Thank guest today uh, on Sales Pipeline Radio. If you want to check this out again, if you want, if you, if you, if you were uh, smoke was coming out of your pen as you're taking notes, uh, we'll get a little excited and talks as fast as I do. Definitely go back to <laughs> salespipelineradio.com. We'll have an on-demand version of this episode, and we we'll look forward to seeing you next week. On behalf of my great producer Paul, this is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us on another week of Sales Pipeline Radio. And with that, we wrap up another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio right here on the Funnel Radio channel for at-work listeners like you.